episode one of Metaphor Loop. This is a show that might exist. Uh, my name is Max Jacobson. I'm a programmer in New York. My uh, guest tonight is Corey Mendel, an old friend who is also a programmer in Connecticut. Is that right? You say that with such hesitation. Um, welcome to the show. Um, as you know, the, the the subject of the show is very well defined, and um, and you have very like clear, concrete expectations for what we're going to talk about. Is that fair to say? I don't know where I am right now. We're in Skype. <laughs> um, so, just a little background. Um, Corey and I went to high school together. Um, we actually took at least one programming class together in high school. I think it was AP Computer Science, and I believe the subject of the course was Java. That was the programming language that we were... Yeah, we were using Java. Uh, I didn't learn Java. I'm sure you did. Um, I well... <laughs> I did not. I, I didn't uh, care about Java, so... Uh, that That's... That's funny. I did. I didn't care about Java either. I I ended up getting a one on the AP test. <laughs> what did you get? I got a three. Okay, I thought you were gonna say five. So no. we're we're in this together. I don't test that well. But the 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 subject of the show. I was kind of joking that it's well defined. It's it's not well defined. Yeah, it's kind of this abstract idea that I want to explore with programmer friends of mine, and maybe strangers if I can get their phone numbers. Uh, or Skype handles, more likely. How do uh, you get this number? Stop calling me. Is that your, like, who, who's that an impression of? Um, like, Matt's? Who? Uh, the creative Ruby. I was just trying to think of a programmer. Oh, uh, that wasn't, you know, trying to be an impression of anyone. That's how I was just been generally silly. Yeah, so this is a show for uh, people who are interested in programming and, um, kind of alternative ways of thinking about programming and specifically uh, figurative ways of thinking about programming. Uh, what, I, what I found in my day-to-day -day life, um, whenever I've been in a situation where I need to explain something to someone or, um, or have something explained to me, uh, I've always reached for analogies, um, kind of metaphors, just to try to understand something, um, often people will, like, let's say you're confused about some feature of one programming language, you, people will say, oh, it's just like this other feature in this other language, but different in this way. And I'm like, I don't know that other language. That doesn't help me. Um, and, it, and it's just not helpful. Um, and I, there, so, yeah, so back, take, back to high school, um, I didn't think about computer programming uh, again after that class for several, several years. Um, I went off and uh, studied psychology and English and was really interested in writing and um, film and creativity. And I kind of forgot about programming. It didn't seem like something I was interested in. Um, meanwhile, Corey, I, I, you went and studied computer science and... and uh, well, I started programming back in middle school uh, as a hobby, and uh, I mostly took that AP CompSci course because I needed, you know, to take a course. Um, in college, I studied computer engineering, so hardware stuff, but I kept doing software stuff as a hobby. And 
there are no hardware jobs, so I ended up with a software job. And, you know, that's why I end up here. Yeah, so de definitely, uh, yeah, definitely, we, st we, we were, we kind of overlapped momentarily senior year of high school, uh, but we were on very different trajectories. We, bo we both ended up doing software stuff. Uh, I say ended up as though um, at like 26 and 27, we have ended up anywhere. Hopefully our lives and journeys <laughs> go, take us more interesting places than software for the rest of our lives. But, you know, while, while, we're, while we're here, while we're, while we're doing software, um, I think that we have different life experiences and I think a lot of people have different life experiences. And um, the way I came back to programming was actually through a developer boot camp that was like a three month experience where it's every day learning to code. And a lot of people are doing these now and there's a lot of people now getting into software who don't have like computer science or um, hardware engineering or electrical engineering or uh, I don't know, these, these like all these backgrounds, like the, the point I'm getting at is that there are a lot more English miners like me doing software now. And um, the reason that I thought I might get and, and, and this podcast is for them. <laughs> and uh, specifically, the reason that I, that I got interested in coding again is that I heard about this book um, about Ruby, which is the language I, I uh, studied at that boot camp. Uh, and the book is called Wise, Poignant Guide to Ruby. Have you ever heard of this book? I have not. So the author is this pseudonymous guy named Why the Lucky Stiff. Um, he was a fairly popular open source Ruby um, project maintainer, uh, creator of this project called HPercot, which was a XML parser, I believe, which was very popular for a while, um, created this project called Hackity Hack, which is very cool, which was for creating desktop applications, cross-platform desktop applications in Ruby. It was predominantly an educational tool for children to show them, hey, look, you can write fairly simple readable code and click a button and then you get like a GUI application that you can do things with. And then it was really friendly, really approachable. And the thing that really resonated with me is that it was all about um, silliness and creativity and uh, fun. Um, and it, the book, Wise Poignant Guide to Ruby, which I'll put in the show notes of this uh, of this show, which is uh, going to be available uh, at my website, hardscrabble.net slash metaphor loop. Um, and this will be the first episode, so it'll be hardscrabble.net slash metaphor loop slash one. I'll put whatever links to things that come up. Um, and yeah, so I heard about this book that was kind of interesting and started reading it. And it was, it's like a comic book and it's got digressions into narrative in the book and all of the code explanations are explained using analogies and images and figurative imagery and a lot of those uh stayed with me uh to today uh so i, I just want to give an example just so you know what i'm talking about i i fully recommend reading the book especially if you are a creative person who's not sure if um, programming is creative or is for you or is fun. Uh, here's a passage, just one that that I still think about. 
whenever I use a range in Ruby. So Ruby has this range type, which lets you express like a range of numbers from like four to seven. And that's, that would be expressed as four dot dot seven. There'd be an object that's a, of type range. And um, Corey, do you mind if I just read like a paragraph? Uh, like, let's take like a minute. I'm, but I'm going right, go to read it slowly to you. You're, you're, you're okay with that? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So this is from uh, chapter three of Wise Poignant Guide to Ruby. Um, ranges. A range is two values surrounded by parentheses and separated by an ellipsis in the form of two or three dots. So far, kind of boring, right? Um, so it says one dot dot three is a range representing the numbers one through three. And then it shows a dot dot z is a range representing a lowercase alphabet. Think of it as an accordion, which has been squeezed down for carrying. Sure, you can build a great sense of self-worth by carrying around an unfolded accordion, but sometimes a person needs to wallow in self-doubt, carefully concealing the squeeze box. The parentheses are the handles on the side of a smaller handheld accordion. The dots are the chain, keeping the folds tightly closed. Normally, only two dots are used. If a third dot is used, the last value in the range is excluded. For example, zero dot 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 five represents numbers zero through four. When you see that third dot, imagine opening the accordion slightly, just enough to let one note from its chamber. The note is that end value. We'll let the sky eat it. I mean, come on, that's a beautiful image. That's a really weird way of looking at it. <laughs> it. It is, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not how it's described, like in the official documentation, um, which now I want to look up. Um, it's probably very practical, very you know, direct, literal. Yeah. So now, for comparison, I'm going to read the Ruby documentation page introducing the range object. Uh, a range represents an interval, a set of values with a beginning and an end. Ranges may be constructed using the s dot dot e and s dot 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 e literals, or with colon colon new, ranges constructing using the dot dot run from the beginning to the end inclusively. Those created using dot 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 exclude the end value. When used as an iterator, ranges return each value in the sequence. Uh, okay. Uh, which, which do you prefer? Well, yeah, see, that's the thing. I'm, though the second is really dry, I will admit, um, I would probably, I, I, I tend to think of such things very literally as well, so... But then I guess I, I've always been sort of mathematically oriented, so I, I, I sort of inherently understand what a range is. You know, the metaphor isn't, just seems superfluous to me. The metaphor seems superfluous. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I mean, it's certainly colorful. Colorful. You know, a, a more interesting way, you know, more interesting way to say it, but not 
necessarily. It it doesn't help me understand, but then I already understand. So like the the for someone who already understands the idea of a range, the main thing to understand if you understand a range but you don't know Ruby or Ruby's understanding of a range is the difference between the dot dot and the dot dot dot. Um I was just a strange syntactic choice on their part. Yeah, exactly. So it warrants explaining. Um, and the the um, the wise poignant guide version explains it through this accordion metaphor, where each dot is kind of like a segment of the accordion. And if you imagine like parentheses, uh, value, and then some amount of dots, and then a value, and then a closed parenthesis, the accordion is either open open or a little bit more open depending on how many dots there are and um you can if if you think of it as like opening the accordion makes notes escape then the amount of dots kind of makes more sense um with the official documentation version it doesn't really justify the um the reason that two dots means more objects where three dots means fewer objects, which for me is backwards. Like you, I would think that, um, more dots means more values, but more dots means fewer values. Um, so it just kind of presents that as a thing to remember. Um, if I, if I were designing the language, I probably would have just used, I mean, obviously it wouldn't have been, you know, given a clean sheet or something, Mm-hmm. And trying to do something simple, I, I would just use a different sort of bracket instead of parens. I'd use like you know, you know square brackets or something. But of course, you know, syntactic flavoring for the language. But the dots, varying the number of dots, I get what you're saying. More dots equals more values. That I mean, that's sort of. I don't know. It's weird. It's just weird. It is weird. So. Language design uh, is a really interesting subject, and I think uh, I, I actually probably want to explore that more in a future show. Because um, when you are designing language, you're trying to model how you think about uh, ideas in a, like a brief syntax that's like on everyone's keyboard, uh, or all the characters are available. Uh, yeah, like so, like different brackets might communicate better the idea than different amount of dots. The fun thing that I like about that um, example, like one detail that I I never thought about until just now, now that I have more experience with Ruby, is that the parentheses are completely unnecessary. Uh, I think that he recommends using parentheses around a range, literally because it makes it look more like an accordion. Because he mentioned the parentheses are like the handles in the accordion. <laughs> Like they're, they're like programmatically or syntactically, they're completely unnecessary. They like they, you know, they do something. But like if you have, uh, I don't know, like they do group that expression as uh, like a higher precedence. If you have like some other operation, they group that. Or if you're chaining method calls on it, but. If you're just representing a range as like a very brief expression, they do nothing other than make it look more like an accordion. Ruby is uh, full of weird precedent things like that. 
Yeah. So like, yeah, exactly. So like understanding, um, like build, building an understanding as a Ruby programmer, you have to build up the, uh, like uh, an inner understanding of, um, of the behavior so that you aren't just bumping into, into walls all the time of like, Oh yeah, that's a thing I have to remember. Um, and the point of this show, I want to really unpack or like shine a light on, um, those inner things that are like, Oh yeah, that's how I think about that. But I don't know if other people do. Um, it's, it's hard to talk about them though, because they're like dreams kind of like what I want to explore are these ways of thinking that aren't ever said out loud because um, they're just like how you think about it, um, how you remember something works some way. Um, kind of interesting just thinking about how like there's the and in a way it sort of fits how you came to this line of work, let's say, and I came to it differently. There's sort of the classic engineer way of thinking. If you've heard people like refer to, you know, thinking like an engineer, engineers, you know, like myself tend to be pretty literal. We tend to think visually. We tend to be able to visualize the structure of the thing we're doing. We, and, and so like, I don't, I've never really needed the metaphor. To me, I just, have an image in my head of whatever I'm trying to build. Like even, you know, objects of classes. That's why I like drawing diagrams so much. Oh, you're a diagram guy. Oh, I love diagrams. Yeah. Uh, there, was, there was this one time a couple of years ago at work and I was trying to do this really complicated thing all around. And I needed to, you know, work out my thoughts. So, and usually I can do it in my head and I just visualize it. I, I, I can visualize things pretty easily. Do, but... you ever, do you ever close your eyes to help visualize like to focus on, on visualizing. Uh, I mean, sometimes, but I generally don't need to. Although, what I will sometimes do, which I'm sure if anybody saw, would make me look like a lunatic, <laughs> is is like, oh, uh, to sort of manipulate the images in my mind. I actually like like physical props. You know, sometimes just hand gestures. I'll literally just be waving in the sky, in the air a little bit just to help me. So you're, you have a, you're visualizing and you, it's like, uh, what is it called? That movie? Um, oh, Minority Reporting My Mind. Yeah. <laughs> like Minority Report. They have Tom Cruise like using a touch gesture screen where he moves case reports around on the screen and he finds the bad guy. Uh, it's all like reaching out and touching things and moving them around to kind of physically arrange information, but it's not physical. It's, it's in your mind. Right. Kind of. Yeah. And well, in this particular case, a couple years ago, I was, there was too much for me to fit in my head without getting confused. So, that so interesting. So there, there is, there, there's this, there's a room in my, in my office on my floor. I thought you were going to say there's a room in your mind. There are many rooms in my mind. But it's unrelated to this. That's room a in topic your for another time. <laughs> topic for a therapist. Um, but yeah, no, this room is pretty much floor to ceiling whiteboard. Mm. Um, and so I just took over that room for a couple hours and just covered every inch and diagram. Did floor to floor to ceiling? Did you like st step on a chair to reach higher? 
I'm pretty tall. I don't need to care. <laughs> what? Like, I couldn't even imagine what I would write. I haven't written something down in a long time. I still bring paper and a pen to meetings. The, like, okay, I want to I wanna understand more... Uh, because visualizing isn't that far off from figurative imagery, I don't think. Like I, when when I when I try to think through a, a problem or think through an idea, I'm I sometimes do close my eyes and I, visualizing might be the right word, but it's often um, hmm. It's not like I'm not actually seeing images, right? I'm just seeing the black inside of my eyelids uh, and thinking about things <laughs> like what are you seeing in your mind i i don't i don't i don't know and and continue you're like you're saying uh thinking like an engineer often means thinking visually oh it's it's it's, it's just sort, sort of like you can't you came to this work differently and uh and engineers we tend to and i'm sure somebody will comment on this thing but like i'm an engineer i think not you know not like this not all of us do, but... You mean you're not, like, uh, one group and you don't speak for every one? We are, we are, we are the Borg. You will be assimilated. <laughs> um, don't get the reference. You don't get it? Uh, you, probably it's like a... Star Trek, what is that, yeah. Firefly? Star Trek. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, no, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. J.J. Okay. Uh, Abrams. No, not J.J. Uh, I'm going to, like, vomit into my microphone. <laughs> Uh, anyway, sorry, I uh, shouldn't troll you. You're in the middle of a really nice point that I want oh, to hear the you, end of. Okay, you know, a disclaimer for internet people: I don't know when people are not when when people aren't being serious. <laughs> I didn't know he was messing with me. Sorry, right, but um, no, that's fine. Um, it, it's sort of you know the the cl the classic thing is sort of that you know engineers have a particular way of thinking. But what is that way? I'm, like that's the whole subject of the show is like ways of thinking. Sure. Um, well, we we tend to be very visual thinkers. Uh, images, like we, you know, we're the we're the stereotypical people who grew up just playing, you know, with Legos and, and Lincoln Logs and stuff like that, uh, and oh, Minecraft. Um, right. The next generation of engineers are all making castles in minecraft or whatever i've still never played it i don't know what you do there oh, yeah, <laughs> i feel uh, like you make castles i have i have a server uh uh i'll, I'll uh, we should play one time and and, and i'll show you but, if, it'll, um, if it'll help me if it'll help me with my engineering i'm, I'm in i doubt it but it's fun okay um, I mean, I, then i'm in the thing is we sort of i don't know, not all of us are very literal but we tend to think of things you know Structurally, when we look at a building, in addition to obviously, you know, pretty building. Buildings you know, are structures. We see, well, right, but we we we're sort of it's 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 like why engineers like to take things apart. We're always curious about how things work, sort of running simulations in our minds about how you know, okay, hey, I wonder how the pressure, the weight of this thing is getting distributed through the building. That's so interesting. I can't remember the last time I took something apart. I actually am avoiding it. I I just. Uh got a new bicycle and they were recommending like you know make sure you know how to replace the tube and the tire uh and you know maybe even take it apart and put it back together just to make sure you know how to do it because it'll happen when you're out in the road and i was like i think i won't do that i think i'll just wait for it to happen and then walk however far i need to uh, a bicycle equivalent of triple a 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, like, I don't know. I'm afraid of taking things apart. I might not be able to put it back together. Isn't that scary? That's interesting. It's just a very different... Like, okay, I, I don't know. Have you ever read the Dresden Files? No. All right, then I don't have a good analogy for you, but... Just, okay. But I mean, think of this way. You know, whereas I, when I'm thinking about making stuff, basically, mm-hmm. I'm usually pretty close to the metal. What does that mean? That, that's uh, a metaphor, right? You're talking about... That is indeed a metaphor. But I, I, I'm, usually, I, I'm usually building it up from, from basic structural elements. Sometimes I'll even be thinking about how the RAM is working or how the CPU is handling things. So, we, so um, those are the metal, right? Like those are the, that's the hardware. Like you have a background in hardware and you're sort of thinking about hardware. it from a hardware perspective. Right, which is why low-level languages are said to be really close to the metal. Close to the metal. Close I, uh, to the metal. At, and so, okay, if you were, what's the opposite of being close to the metal well, in, so, in figurative speech? So let me just continue this, which will bring us to that. Okay. So whereas I tend to think of things... Well, I start at that low level and I build it up. I think about, you know, the the data and build the data structures and how it all relates to each other. You know, I don't necessarily need for my purposes. I don't need abstractions really to understand what's going on. Um, obviously, with big giant things and object orientation helps, but maybe because you are, I think, more of more. Uh, you think a different way. Not bad thing, just different. <laughs> um, I suspect more... I don't know, I don't have right something for it, but basically, whereas I'm interfacing more or less directly with the concept and stacking them up in my mind... That is so interesting. You're sort of building abstractions around them. That's where your metaphors come in. Right. They're kind of protecting the areas of things I don't understand. Like if there's something I don't understand, but I understand how to work with it, then I, then I kind of tell myself, I don't need to understand that. I get to use it anyway. Right. So higher level languages or the ones that are not near the uh, ones that are. Right. Okay. So this is a great opportunity. So higher level languages is a phrase Close to the metal is a phrase. They're related. When you say higher level, the level is one or two levels, maybe more well, than two levels, from the metal. Well, it's not high level and low level languages. It's not. It's not an elevator on a building where the ground floor is made of metal right, and no the upper floor. floor is where people get high. I mean, there are plenty of those too, I'm sure. But most buildings these days. But the yeah, the higher the level, although the, it's not quantified in any way. But the higher the level of the language in figurative terms, um, um, the more abstracted out the metal, so to speak, the hardware is. Yes. So by the time you deal with, you know, like Java stuff, Java. Like, okay, the classic comparison is Java compared to C++. They look very similar to each other, but C++ allows you and sometimes requires that you deal with some of the more, like, you know... I'm going to have to ask you to give me an analogy. If Java is one animal, what animal is C++? 
animals might not be the best thing. What, no, what, what so would be much. a good thing? So I, I want a comparison because I, I, I'm hearing a comparison, but I want it in terms that I can see as, a, as an image. This is where the difficulty is because I think of it so differently. All right, so let's say that Java uh, is um, is uh, like plus plus. a plate uh, a plate of uh, of eggs. God, what the heck? Let's just say it, it's a plate of eggs. They're scrambled. So if Java's is a plate of scrambled eggs, what's C plus plus? Apparently, Java's pretty tasty then. But I have no idea. This is like a bad SAT question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. For the record, they stopped doing those questions by the time we took the SAT. They were like, let's leave these for a podcast 10 years from now. Yeah. But, um, actually, this, I think, is sort of underscoring the thing. Like, I just don't think of things that way. I mean, sometimes, but practical things, I don't. It's so foreign to me. Like, you think about eggs as eggs. Well, like, thinking about the differences between the languages, I'm thinking of it... Quite literally. Well, you were you were about to compare them. I I just want to kind of. So, what what were you going to say about them? Man, I'm just screwing up your whole podcast thing here. No, um, no, no. This is good. This is this is interesting. Well, the way I I mean I I I think of it in very literal terms. In C you might be dealing with memory addresses, where in RAM, your values are. This is why you have you know pointers and you have to allocate memory and deallocate by you know, memory leaks or a thing. Because Java abstracts that out for you. Okay. So that that's a very literal comparison between two languages and one example of an abstraction. Do you still deal with memory at all? And if so, like what what abstraction do they use? Like do Java programmers need to think about memory at all or is it completely out of their hands? Java programmers only really need to think of memory in the sense of how much space are they taking up. And usually that's not a problem. For most practical purposes these days, RAM is not particularly limited. So, so like, there, there's no concept of, like, a pointer that they need to care about? Um, well, like, in C++, you have to deal with, you have to, the, the, the discre- you know, distinct concepts of, of 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 value versus pointers versus references, hmm. different different ways of accessing the data. I find Java, I find that Java, whole like distinction rec- so confusing. Oh, and that's fair. In Java, there are only references. You never pass raw values. You're only ever passing references to things. So, just the name, you know, your variable name. Yeah. The way it works under the hood is it's, 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 it's. Under the hood is a good metaphor. Oh, the sort of, uh, like, the, like, car. Metaphor. Yeah, the car metaphor. I like it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, if Java is, has a hood, then it's a car. What kind of car is Java? Oh, God, what the heck? You just, you know, you, it's a car with a hood. That's all cars, but obviously they're, they're, they would be different cars. Sure, but so, not knowing a whole lot about cars, I can't really. I trust me, I don't either. But like, I know, like, I couldn't tell you like a, if a brand is a good car or what a sedan is. But tell me, like, it's like a is it a car you'd want to drive, Java? 
No, I hate Java. <laughs> so what kind of cards do you hate? I don't know. <laughs> Come on, what like picture yourself in a, like walking past the car and thinking like I would I would not I would never I would never drive that car. Like only assholes would drive that car. I actually wouldn't drive a Mustang. Alright, so Java's a Mustang. No. <laughs> okay, so what's another car you wouldn't drive because you it, you it, hate it? So, see, I, I can't think of a of a good way to map like languages to cars. Uh huh. But but they have hoods. But well, in 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 that is that is one of the relatively few, like really simplistic, meta, uh, you know. Uh, metaphors that we use yeah <laughs> it's like sure it's got a hood we don't know what the rest of the thing is we know there's a hood and there's metal there somewhere the under the hood metaphor what does it mean it just means that there are like you know, implementation details that the, you don't need to understand behind, yeah like when, when your car when your car is running when, when your car is running you know it's running you hear the noise but you don't see the belts you know so let, let me just ask you and, an easy and, question yeah is Java the car? Is the Java car noisy or quiet? You hear the noise, but is it like a loud one, or is it kind of like a like a purring, gentle, beautiful purr, or is it like a noisy, like kind of a loud engine? I suppose you could say that Java would be fairly quiet in that it hides mm. most of the detail from you. The you know, looking at it. So I think Java's a Prius. Priuses are very quiet. Uh, I can't see you in a Prius. I don't know. The problem with this, the problem is I'm way too tall for a Prius. And you're way too tall for Java. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds kind of funny. That like okay, so Java's Java's a Prius. Uh, what what would you like? And you you like C plus plus, right? I do. And I know how much a lot of people hate it, but I actually like when I teach people programming, mm-hmm. and I do lo- I do love to teach. When I do teach people programming, I actually tend to think they should learn with something complicated like C plus plus, because it sort of forces them to learn the. Let me backtrack a second. Let me channel one of my professors nice. who will never hear this, but one of my professors from from school, me and another friend of mine where I was complaining about why he gave us such a hard time in class where not us particularly, but why he went into such theoretical detail on everything, even though we'd never use it. And he said something which has always stuck with me. And I, I channel it, channel him from time to time, which is that the difference between an engineer and a technician is that we're not just putting the parts together. We have, an understanding of and an appreciation for the theory for the mechanics on uh, uh, you know behind the scene under that hood so you know it's not just you know put you know tab a into slot b you know not ikea programming um and you hear often about um sticking with cars you hear a lot about um how cars today are not as user maintainable, right? Like you can um, pr- take the Prius for example. That's what my we have a family Prius, my family that I've driven for years, and um, 
I've never opened the hood, <laughs> you know. I did because there were like leaves in there and I wanted to swipe them out. But I, I've never done any engineering maintenance on the car um, in part because it's, it's not really designed to be maintained um, by the owner. And, uh, you know, you hear a lot of like old, old people complaining that they liked it better when they could do everything on their car and it was cheaper and they could use like generic parts and yada, 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 all these very good points. I'm sure that, um, and that's sort of the trade off modern cars are more reliable, but harder to fix harder for you, the per the owner to fix if they go wrong. Right. So, and as a programmer, when you're working, you, by having an understanding that goes all the way down to the metal, you're more well-equipped to deal with um, with what may come up, and you're, you're maybe... Well, a case in point, uh, a while ago, a few months ago, I was having a problem with performance on an update system I, 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 I'm responsible for, and we were trying to optimize it, make it. You know, faster. And part of the way I did that was, you know, I know how the how how the data is actually stored. This the data was stored on spinning disks, as we call them, traditional hard drives, and those have certain characteristics, as opposed to flash memory, which have, has different characteristics. And optimizing those two things is completely different. Um, if I didn't know those things, I'd be lost. So the only thing I really know about those is that Flash is faster. That they um, don't have the spinning disk, so they don't have the spinning disk. <laughs> well, there are a couple. There are a couple. Major I don't know what they do have. Okay, they're they're. I think they're faster. That's literally all I know about them. Is that enough? They also behave differently. A spinning disk is really bad for what we call random access pick a random address, you know, on a street. I want to go to that house. You still have to go linearly from the beginning of the street to there, right? That's a great example. Um, and on a hard drive, uh, on a traditional hard drive, a spinning disk drive, mm -hmm. you have to wait until the platter, the, the, the disk, rotates under the read head, like the needle on a, uh, on a uh, record player. You have to wait until the disk spins until the head is above the right address. Whereas in, uh, with flash memory, you can go directly to, you can drop from above uh, directly to where you're going. With, with your needle. <laughs> well, there is no needle in this, in, in this case, but in effect, yes, you, you can access where you're trying to go immediately rather than having to wait for it, have to wait for seeking so the analogy to music is really great. So you, you could take a hard drive is, is really has a lot in common with the record player. It's, it's, it's the same basic concept, except that a record is physical, whereas a, a, a sort of mechanical, whereas a, 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 a hard disk is magnetic. So magnetic. there's no physical. So there's no, the read head isn't a physical needle that touches the disk. It's a an electromagnet that reads the magnetic field of each individual location on the, on the disc, whereas a needle on a record player rides on the actual on that sweet groove. 
um, yeah, the groove, inside the groove are actual differences in the bumps and bumps. And those are translated into an audio signal. So see if I can take home this analogy. So if um, hard disks are like vinyl record players, then uh, flash memory is like um, a street performer. Or um, uh, like a karaoke singer. I don't know what that means. Yeah, that wasn't a good analogy. Help me out. The pro- this is sort of the thing. There isn't, a, and this is actually, well, it's also, I suppose, a function of how I think about these things. I don't have the metaphor. Uh, I don't think there even is a good comparison. So there, there's a very good one for hard disks, and that's actually going to help me remember and understand hard disks. It, it, it's, it's pretty much a, a, a development of the same concept. Yeah, but everything you said about magnets, I guarantee I won't remember, but I will, I, like, I'll just remember, oh, it's like vinyl records. And like, for me, that's enough. Like, that's an abstraction that I, I'm going to cling to for the rest of my life. And for your purposes, and you're a front-end guy, for your purposes, that's generally enough. Um, I'm a back-end guy. Not only am I a back-end guy, but I, I like the hardware. The hardware is interesting. So for me, that's not enough. I, 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 I like to see the whole picture, the whole stack. Hmm. God, all these, like, the, the whole point is, like, you've just said, like, three different metaphors that I just want to unpack all of them. Like, what, what ends? The ends of, of what? The, the, the stack of, of what? This is sort of the thing. These, the metaphors I use are metaphors for convenience, not for, not to fit them in my head. They're, they're convenient for communication, uh, tapping into phrases that you kind of know that I know are a shorthand. They're convenient for expressing the idea. Um, the danger is when people don't know the thing that you assume they know, right? Where you're just like, oh, back end, front, yeah, I know those terms, yeah, yeah. And then the person oh. in the corner is like, huh? Or whatever. Um I'm sure we could do a whole like uh, a whole series just on how different people think about technical things. We sort of touched on two, like, in effect. It, I mean, it, it, it seems like like to us like two very distinct ways of of holding what we do in our mind. Yeah, and what, one, I've been kind of like. Put, uh, putting myself in the perspective of kind of the ultra figurative uh, shoe wearer. Um, truthfully, I think I'm more in the middle and some of my, um, my like my role in my programming life is often to be that person in the middle kind of translating back and forth between um, those with a, fairly literal or engineering mindset and those with um, maybe a less technically um, prioritized mindset. So like, for example, I don't know if you're ever in a situation where like you have some uh, someone asking for something and you have to explain like why it's a complicated thing. It's actually, uh, well, because I work at, I, I don't remember where you work. Was it like a hospital or an insurance company or something? Uh, yeah, I work for a healthcare technology startup. 
I work for a financial software company, and it's it's not a small company. So when we're when we're doing things, we have you know different departments with different responsibilities in the process. Uh, uh, one of those departments is responsible for figuring out what the people who pay for our software want, mm-hmm. and it's their job to to have the vision of the thing that needs to be made and communicate it to us. Yes. But that also means that I need to be able to communicate, I need to be able to communicate the implications of the technology and what I have to do to these people who don't understand the technology. So actually, I deal with that, you know, pretty much every day. So like the necessity for communicating across different ways of thinking, how do you deal with that? Um, do you find that using a, a literal explanation is always sufficient? Do you ever find yourself reaching for um, simplifications or analogies or um, or anything like that to to explain implications or decisions? Well, I do definitely need to simplify things in order for the non-technical people to understand them. Although, usually... I'm not so much coming up with metaphors as I am just omitting technical details that aren't valuable to them. So what's left? So black boxing in a sense. Okay, what does that mean? I'm hiding lower level details that aren't needed by you know the recipient of the information. Um, though I need to know that data, that you know that information because it's part of how I do things. But sometimes you can group details together kind of treat them as an item and 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 communicate them as a put it a different way when you're in your computer there are like lots of microchips each of those chips has lots of little circuits in them lots of things going on but you don't see it you don't have to worry about it you just know this chip does this 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 chip is the cpu it does in in essence, that you know that chip is a black box. You don't right, know so exactly what's going on inside it, but you know stuff is going in and other stuff's coming out. What's the black box in the scenario where you're talking to a coworker about a, um, a I don't know a technical decision? Well, like uh, uh, if I have to load data files, uh, 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 I have to worry about you know getting the file from wherever it is, you know, like an FTP site or whatever. Mm-hmm. And parsing the file, that is, interpreting the contents and structure of that file, and figuring out what each of those, you know, what what each of the parts of that file mean, and then operating on them. But they don't need to know that. All they need to know is that I'm downloading the file, I'm reading the file, and I'm writing other stuff. And 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 they do need to know that. They need to know that part? Uh, 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 I mean, this is just a hypothetical. Right. Like maybe they need to know that part so that they can communicate back to the client or whoever, hey, we're going to need to, we're going to need your IT people to give us access to your data so we can do our thing with it. Uh, and you need them to know enough that they can sufficiently communicate what you need. Sure, or, or just so I can communicate how, okay, hey, this is going to take me time. I need to work on this part. It's going to take me a few days. And they're, and they're like, Corey, we need this now. And you're like, well. 
well, then I point to, you know, I, I, I get it done way faster than I actually intended to. Estimates are always bad, people. Always <laughs> bad. They're never accurate. Don't bother. You have to do it anyway. But this is this is the point where I point uh, I point to. Um, I wonder if I can send it through Skype. Feel free. I, I'll put uh, it in the show notes. Uh, I point to this thing on my whiteboard from work that that I drew up a while ago in one of my minions. Um, added to. You have minions? Uh, they don't work for me directly, but I'm the sort of technical lead on the team. Okay, that's cool. So, I I I I I'm, I I pretty much handle the day to day technical questions. So, but, um, but they did you, did you get that image I sent? Yeah, should I read it? Uh, sure. <laughs> Number two is the relevant one here. Can I read the whole thing? Go go ahead. All right, so it's a picture of a whiteboard. It says rules of engineering at the top. There's four rules of engineering. I, I wish I had these. There are, there are more, but those are the four that were written at the time. <laughs> okay. Uh, rule number one, when in doubt, cheat. Smiley face. Right, which is not meant literally. It, uh, well, unless you, know, you have to. But it, it's sort of don't, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't reinvent the wheel. Okay, I like that. Um, number two, this is the one that you want to focus on. I am magic. This is known. So, not infrequently, after I've gotten something done, I'll have one of the particularly some you know, someone from another group that you know non-technical people go like, "How did you do that so fast?" And I'll just be like, "I'm magic. <laughs> this is known. This is known." And it's become a bit of a thing now. Slightly mimetic at work. <laughs> okay, so I think this was related to the idea of the hypothetical I gave you of what what happens or what do you do when they maybe some business uh, person says, like, we need this thing and they're being unreasonable and they... Um, I was kind of trying to push you toward uh, having to explain like a scenario where you have to explain the implications or the reasons that something is more complicated than it may seem. But because you're a rock star, you were just like, well, in that case, I would just do it quicker. I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> okay. So here's my question. Number, number two says I am magic. This is known. It, do you think it's, it's fair to say that that, that kind of speaks to a refusal to communicate non-technically actually it's just a joke yeah like yeah i'm kind of trying to make that more than it is but um right because that came out of oh yeah i just got it done because i'm magic and i'm not i i can i can do things okay so that's not a thread to pull on it turned out it was easier than expected or something okay so we were talking about uh different ways of thinking and how we can communicate with people who think differently than we do. And simplification is one strategy. Um, but how, like, how do you simplify? How do you simplify things? So I think take the optimization example you gave earlier. Um, let's say someone asks you, "Hey, that uh, that optimization." feature you were working on it worked it's more fast now how, how did you do that 
and you know that they're not gonna uh that they don't have a background in in hardware engineering and they don't know about the spinning platter or whatever do you how do you how do you approach talking about it do you say well so we found the bottleneck was in the hard drive which has a spinning platter and da 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 or how, how do you approach explaining things oftentimes largely because i like to teach i might actually try to explain how, how, if they really are curious how the underlying thing works in as sim you know in the simplest terms i can come up with i i, I might actually talk about how there are different types of storage um although that's not you know necessary for the job so to speak that's i just like i i like to teach it's fun um do you ever have that thing where you're explaining something and you pause while you're explaining when you reach a like a term and you ask do you know this term and they say no and so then you kind of um take a fork and start explaining that term which brings up yet another term and say do you know this term and then you kind of like make a stack of explanations until you reach like a call stack in your mind yeah exactly uh like this is how i often think about explaining things that you you need to f start with the thing and if the other person has the exact same like uh background and understands everything that you understand it's simple you just say oh um it's a hard drive and they say oh i get it okay uh, but if they don't, then you, you go down a stack or up a stack or something. And, uh, until you hit like a base case of common understanding and then you can start, what is the term? Like popping up the stack until you arrive back at the original thing. In a sense, you're popping things back off the stack. Once you've explained each term, you can then use the term. Exactly. Yeah. So then finally you come back to the top and you say, at which point you've forgotten where you were. Well, hopefully not. I mean, hopefully at the end you get to say, so it's a hard drive. And they go, oh. And then uh, everyone's happy and everyone has a shared understanding. Um, have you ever thought about it that way before? I think about that all the time. I haven't really thought about that, but that is true. That is definitely something that has, that you have to do. And it, it's not... It's not uncommon that like 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 you said that um you sometimes get lost in the stack and you um you don't come back to where you were depends how deep the stack is um but yeah no sometimes you just you know like a lot of people will get distracted in the conversation and forget where they were the same idea although oftentimes with really complicated things i'll just write it down for whoever i'm trying to explain it to like for a lot of my projects i have documents describing you know important things and i do that classic textbook thing you know how how in like a lot of like intro textbooks uh important terms are like bolded to call out say pay attention to this make sure you understand this, this. is a term you should remember yeah and then you i do that i, just, I don't know why i when i'm feeling professorial <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like sometimes if you're going to use an acronym it's good to first spell out the acronym and then put in parentheses the short version and then from then on you can kind of feel guilt-free about referencing the short version sure and that's actually i mean it's it's sort of it is sometimes easier to explain things in text you don't have to you're still dealing with explaining the terms 
but you can do it in line. And can you reuse the explanation? Do you ever find yourself saying, oh, you know, I've already written this out for someone else. Uh, let me send this to you too. Sure. And then you don't publish them, right? You're saying you're, you sometimes feel professorial and this is the textbook approach. Well, but it's just how I, how I tend to write things. Uh, what I'm saying is I'd, read, I'd buy that textbook. Oh, God. <laughs> Why not? First, you know, I could give you the textbook, but then I would have to, you know, shoot you because they'd be like, you know, IP rights agreement stuff in there that I'd get in trouble for. <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, there. Every now and then, that kind of thing happens where I learn something through work that I want to share, and I'm like, I think I signed a thing that says I can't share <laughs> everything I do at work. Although a good thing in the last couple of years for me has been we've been working with less. I've been doing less proprietary stuff and more like SQL for storage and stuff, which. You know, it's a well-known publicly publicly used technology. I can talk about that until, you know. Right, so if you, like, learn a technique r related to SQL, that's... Then I can talk about that, no problem, because it's not proprietary. And other people would benefit from it because they are also using SQL and maybe haven't had the same epiphanies that, that you, you've had. Knowledge sharing, kids. <laughs> In terms of sharing knowledge, like, I was... Uh, saying I would buy your textbook or a lot of people write blogs. I have a blog. I try to share things that I think or learn on my blog. And it's this constant struggle of figuring out like what voice to use when explaining something that I barely understand, you know, like I, I'm not an expert, but it's something you that I've totally learned. You should totally use Patrick Stewart's voice. It's a good voice. <laughs> I, mean, I mean like what writing voice? I, uh, or like what, like what imaginary audience should I imagine I'm writing for? Um, so I often will get into that stack where I reference something and then I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to assume that the reader knows um, Ruby or I don't know, like uh, this feature of Ruby. Therefore, I should make a little aside to explain it. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll just write a blog post about that one thing and then I'll publish it and then I'll continue on, on the original blog post and link to the other blog post. And uh, in order to understand the first blog post, you kind of need to have read all the uh, dependent blog posts. Um, but they're all linked. Hyperlinks are good. Uh, that's kind of like a way to model the stack of like dependent knowledge in uh, blog form. <laughs> Sure. That makes sense. Separate things out into their own articles. Yeah, and my analytics uh, provider, clicky.com, will show me, like, uh, user... It's creepy. I'm like the NSA, but it'll show me, like, user flows through oh, like, yeah, the site. People got to this page from this other thing. Yeah, so when I, I, get, I get the most happy when I see, all right, a reader came to the blog post I just published that I tweeted a link to, and then click the link to go to the earlier blog post, and then click the link to go to the earlier blog post, and then I don't know that they actually popped back up to the top of the stack. I, I hope I hope that they do, but it's very easy to get lost in the stack. So that's sort of um, the the problem with understanding things is you have this like stack of dependent knowledge, and it's a Jenga tower. It could collapse at any time. If you uh, 
don't build it with a strong foundation. That's an interesting way of, interesting way of putting it. That's a metaphor. It is indeed. Um, so I'm very happy with how this conversation went. I, um, Even though I did my darndest completely unintentionally to derail the actual metaphors at every stage. <laughs> I... <laughs> bleep bloop. <laughs> what was that? That was, I'm a robot. Bleep bloop. Yep. But the thing is that that uh, I I think that that your perspective is super valuable because um, I don't know. Like I feel like at my best, I am understanding things in a literal way, like you. But I don't feel comfortable uh, that I understand it unless I can explain it to uh kind of myself five minutes ago or to another person um do you, do you believe that idea like you if you if you can't explain it to someone else you don't understand it some people say that i don't know language is difficult so i i wouldn't i i know i i don't think i agree with that but obviously your understanding if you can't explain it is somewhat limited because you know half of knowledge is, 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 you know, half of the value of knowledge is sharing that knowledge. Yeah, so if you, if you know something, but you're like... But you can't effectively <laughs> communicate it. Yeah, then... You, then things to learn. When I think about that person, I do see them in front of a whiteboard covered in scribbles. Hey, mine are nicely connected flowcharts and things. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I could go on. I could go on for two hours about the wonders of finite state machines. I uh, and I might ask you to do that on a future episode. Um, the the uh, the lullaby episode in which I put everyone to sleep. But here's the thing: I think that that is probably an interesting topic uh, if you um, find the right metaphors or find the right like way of explaining it. Then. Um, kind of brings alive what makes it interesting to you. Like you just called it wonderful, right? Also, I don't know if you had this experience in school like I did, but it also, like, your own learning experience depends a lot on the tone and 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 interest of your professor. If your professor isn't interested, you know, doesn't seem interested, if they're just going through the motion, then they won't have your attention. Mm. That's strongly, you know what I mean? But yes. if your professor is really excited by what they're talking about, then maybe you'll be more excited about it too. And of course, I'm a doofus, so... A doofus who gets excited about things, and uh, you just need to commu- you know, communicate that excitement in a way that, uh, that gets other people excited about it. So like, you know, to be inclusive when you're teaching, you kind of... You only use two dots instead of three. <laughs> I have broken Max, everyone. <laughs> My work here is done. I was trying to be thoughtful. <laughs> I, uh, okay, so your work here is done. I'm also happy to call it an episode. Um, thank you for hanging out with me and... Uh, having this abstract concept. Do you think this is a show? Do you think we can make a show out of this? If I uh, bring on you again and other people who are into programming, just kind of talk about 
ways of thinking about programming, which I think is a very diverse set of ways, and just try to learn about about ways on 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 where you want to go with it. I'm, as I've said before, I'm more than happy to talk about whatever. This is fun for me. Uh, I'm glad. If, if, especially if you want to get into sort of like the philosophies thing that could get pretty deep philosophies of programming or like in general well let's let's start with programming in general could get pretty sticky yeah no i don't want to get sticky metaphysics everyone love those love those meta uh, metaphysics love them yep yep He's just bleeding, you know, you know, brain through his ears, man. <laughs> I can't, like, my headphone is, like, stuck in my ear. I can't get it out. I think well, In that case, you've got, like, brain stuck in your headphone. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So, Corey, thank you again. And where, where can people find you uh, if, if, you know, if I actually publish this uh, and people are, are finding you interesting? Do you have a blog? Do you have a Twitter? Do you have a publicly facing Facebook? What do you got? I don't. Maybe I should think about that. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you do, I'll add I it to the show notes. I have a blog o thingy, but I don't use my name on it. Ooh, so. right. So that we would defeat the purpose to share it. Indeed. All right. So for now, you're Corey, and uh, your perspective was very appreciated. All right. So this has been Metaphor Loop. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm going to try to bring on some... Uh, more interesting people to hear more about how they think about programming and apparently I'm not very interesting well hold on when I said <laughs> when I said more interesting I meant more interesting people like Corey uh, not more interesting people than Corey <laughs> sorry I just explained your joke I will take it alright well thanks again Thank, uh, goodbye sure why I don't want to go outside cause I might have a terrible day and get sent home I don't want to go outside cause I might have a terrible day I used to be thin I used to look good with a guitar you're always alone